Hello and welcome to a Mighty Blaze podcast. I'm your host, Trisha Blanchett. A Mighty Blaze was created in 2020 to connect readers and writers during the COVID pandemic and has since developed into an online hotspot for literary news, festival broadcasts, and interviews with best-selling authors, debut writers, and everyone in between. Today's featured guest, Mikkel Jolet, is a maestro of words on the page as well as in song. Mikkel is the frontman for the band The Airborne Toxic Event, which is known for its unique blend of rock and orchestral arrangements. His memoir, Hollywood Park, is a remarkable redemption and survival story about Mikkel's traumatic upbringing within one of America's most infamous cults. Mikkel came to a Mighty Blaze's Authors Love Bookstore show to talk with host and author Joe Moldover and Maddie Gobo of Skylight Books about his writing and music careers, his love for indie bookstores, the all-consuming stress of the past few years, and the four books that helped shape his outlook and his art. So settle in and enjoy the conversation as I pass the blaze torch to Joe, Maddie, and their multi-hyphenate exuberant guest, Mikkel Jolet. Hello, book lovers, and welcome to Authors Love Bookstores, presented by A Mighty Blaze. I'm Joe Moldover, author of the novel Every Moment After, and I am your host for today. Authors Love Bookstores is a weekly online program held every Wednesday. I host and produce alongside my friend and fellow writer, Kimberly Hensel Lawrence. Our mission is to highlight independent bookstores all across the United States and Canada, to tell you what makes them so special, and to talk about what you can do to support their ongoing survival. If you are live with us on Facebook or YouTube, go ahead and put comments into the chat, uh, questions for either our author or our bookseller, and we will get to as many as we can. Today, I am beyond excited to welcome Mikkel Jolet. Uh, Mikkel uh, is the author of the best-selling memoir, Hollywood Park. Uh, he has written fiction and worked as a journalist after graduating with honors from Stanford University. And he has a day job as frontman for the band The Airborne Toxic Event, which uh, released an album also called Hollywood Park, also in 2020. Mikkel, thank you so much for being here with us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Joe. It's great. And also with us is Maddie Gobo of Skylight Books. Welcome, Maddie. It's great to see you. Hi, I'm glad to be here. So let's dive like right in. Skylight needs a bigger, bigger intro than that. I feel like I appreciate the big buildup that you gave me, but like Skylight was my favorite bookstore for forever. And I'm sort of fanning out a little bit that Maddie's here. So can we just talk oh. about the heart of what is the east side of Los Angeles? And that, that, that is that what you strip right there where Skylight Books captured my heart 15 years ago <laughs> or so. And um just felt like it's there's something about bookstores if you want to be a writer and it's different once you've published because once you've published and you've gone to a million bookstores and you're like where's my book and you're like looking for it you know or you do an offense in like the dingy room in the basement or something it's different but uh that book that store just exudes so much 
curation uh, and class and taste. And there's such a strong, solidly intellectual, and by that I mean sort of literary um, uh, sense of style to the place um, that it's just exciting. And I always felt that way about it. Um, and it was sort of, it, it very much romanticized um, books for me uh, at a certain point in my life. So Maddie, thank you so much for, for doing this and thank you for, and thank you Skylight Books for existing. Oh, Mikkel, thank you. That was a beautiful intro. And that was, um, that was a great intro. if I could just say a few words about Skylight, um, if you guys aren't familiar with us, we're in the neighborhood called Los Feliz. It is pronounced that way, though there is much debate about that um, in Los Angeles, California. And um, we are, we actually have two stores. So we have the main store um, and then we have the arts annex, which is my favorite part of the store. It's where we keep all of our cool zines and art books and monographs. Um, and we do have a bookstore cat as well as a tree in the middle of the store. So it is a really magical, like ideal. Cat. Yeah, her name's Franny. She has a little mustache. She's perfect in every way. Um, <laughs> and yeah, the store is like, when I, moved, when I moved to LA, I, I was like, Skylight's the one, that's where I'm working. I'm not gonna try any other stores. Yeah. That's the one for me. I think a lot of our um, customers really feel very strongly about the store and that it is this special magical place and they've stuck with us a long time. So we appreciate it. I fully agree. Maddie, we want our we want our viewers to get a little bit of a sense of, you know, of what Skylight is like and kind of what it's like from the inside out. And um, one thing I always love to talk about with booksellers are their live events. Uh, because I feel like live events with independent bookstores are such kind of, they're kind of like a unique thing. It's like they have such an interesting vibe. They can be so funny. Um, they can be so, so, so weird. Uh, things can go in so many different directions. Um, I wonder if you have like a sort of a most memorable live event or like a live event that you would especially like to share with us. Yeah. Um, so I've been the events manager for about two years now. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm kind of just one in a long line of, of people who have helmed events at Skylight and we have hosted all kinds of wild things over the years. And I'm sure Mikhail can tell you more about some of those past events. But, um, since I've been there in my tenure, uh, I would say the ones that come to mind right away are Ocean Vong, um, who wrote On Earth We're Briefly Gorgeous. Uh, that book was huge and, the event was wall to wall packed. Like we literally had people standing in the emergency exit. Like we had people standing on the stairs up in the upstairs office, like everyone, it was, it was electric. Like people showed up and they were, they showed up like hours early for this event. Um, and I got to bring ocean in. We had to bring him in through a back door cause we literally couldn't get in the front door of the store. And when we brought him in, and he like took his seat in front of this huge, huge audience. The room felt completely silent. Like it was like, it was like being at a concert for an enormous rock star. Um, and people were just like, just hanging on every word. And he he speaks as beautifully as he writes. So you know, it was it was just like being inside of his book, like listening to him speak. Um, so that was that was really really memorable. Um, I've done all kinds of really fun offsites. I think one of the best things about being a bookstore in LA is that you get to see behind the curtain at a lot of these cool places, um, really amazing concert venues. You know, you're getting to go into private homes to do private book events. Um, that's that's always been 
my favorite part of the job because I'm a little bit nosy and I love to see <laughs> behind behind the doors. Um, so I'm missing that a lot now, and I'm I'm really looking forward to to getting back out into the city and seeing all of these cool places and and selling books in them. That's awesome. So so like you get invited to like famous people's homes to like do private school private book events. Is that kind of yeah? Every now and again, we'll we'll get invited to some lavish mansion or something. Um, you know, we we've also done things like selling books at um, the TED Women's Conference out in Palm mm -hmm. Desert at a beautiful resort. So you know, sometimes these like magical little things happen where suddenly someone needs a bookseller and you get to like walk the red carpet with your box of books. Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, like selling books for Ronan Farrow uh, in 2019 was pretty amazing. Um, so yeah, there's, you never know what's going to come up um, being here in LA. Everybody comes through here at some point or another. That's really cool. Um, Mikhail, do you have sort of like specific sort of like memories of Skylight in terms of things done and people seen that kind of stick in your mind? Well, can we talk about my friend John Klassen for a moment? Absolutely. John. John. So John is a good dear friend of mine. Um, and we were talking about, uh, and we, we are, we have kids the same age. Um, and we've been talking a lot and I'm actually curious to, for Maddie to talk about what it's been like, cause we had to move virtual. I had to move my whole book tour virtual. And I know John had to move his event virtual, I believe. And, and I think that there's this sense of, um, connection that bookstores have become that I was surprised by. Um, I remember this is my first uh, book that's come out. I've published fiction before, uh, but short stories. And this is, and I've, I've been surprised by how strong the connection has been with the audience through the bookstore uh, on these virtual events. I mean, I had I, a lot of people attend uh, uh, my book tour, um, and I'm just curious, Maddie, like what your what it's been like for you to see that connection sort of live on online. And I know we still we can't speak too highly of the last year because it's been an absolute shit show. But but I do feel like I've I've sort of like that sort of neighborhood sense of this is the intellectual center of this neighborhood. I feel like it's been strengthened by the pandemic. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the store itself, you know, we've actually been open since July. Um, and for a while, we were all saying to each other, you know, we think Skylight might be one of the few places in the city right now where you can go and have a conversation with someone you don't live with. Um, so for a while, you, we were getting these people coming in, you know, in their masks, um, who wanted to just tell us all about what was going on in their lives. And that happens most of the time anyway, like in, in normal times. But with the pandemic, I think people were looking at Skylight as this like beacon, this place where they could go and like talk about what was happening to them um, and what they were reading and what they were experiencing. Um, so that was like, that was interesting through the summer. And then, yeah, on virtual events, you know, we've had the, the really great luck of having a consistent audience for all of our events. Like our, our audience did not fall away when we went virtual. We were still getting kind of the same size or bigger crowds than we would in person. Um, and the really beautiful thing, the thing that makes me happy about virtual events is that we're, we're able to reach people who maybe don't have an indie bookstore in their town um, and who are finding us you know, on Crowdcast or wherever, and they're getting access to all this programming. Um, so you know, we're hearing from people all over the world, not just here in, in the US. Um, and, and that's just been really, really satisfying to see. You know, anytime somebody's like, I'm in Australia watching this event, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is great. 
Um, so yeah, I think not only do we have uh, this great sort of customer base that have stuck by us through all of the craziness of this last year, we've also been able to kind of like provide these free programs for people um, that wouldn't access, wouldn't be able to access them otherwise. That's great. Um, we have um, a bunch of people with us watching online and we're starting to get some questions coming in. So um, I wanted to share them um, with you guys and talk a little bit about um, about books and writing and book selling. Um, so, um, Mikhail, a lot of love uh, from the audience for both the band and for the book. And um, uh, one question about what it's like to balance multiple creative pursuits. And um, you know, I guess, I guess, probably in particular, I mean, you're somebody who um, who's written a lot of songs. I think um, Airborne has what six six studio albums. Is that right? Mm -hmm. um, and what it was like to make the transition to writing a memoir. Um, well, it was really difficult at first because I hadn't really sat down to write in about 10 years. Uh, and, I, and I'd and i been a writer by trade for years before that, for about five years. Um, I was a journalist and I'd written fiction. I'd gotten into Yaddo based on um, a story called The Crack that I wrote that ended up in McSweeney's, um, which is actually about Los Feliz um, and also mentions the weird pronunciation of <laughs> Los Feliz. Uh, I think the big line is like, who's happy in Los Feliz? But um, uh, it was weird. I, I think uh, in, in music, you talk a lot about how hard you work because you were on tour and how hard you work because you had to go from city to city. And I think when I sat down to write the book, I realized I hadn't really worked in about a decade, that what I did was a pain in the ass sometimes, you know, but uh, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't the kind of concentrated 10 hours a day, 12 hours a day, sitting in a room thinking and writing that writing had always been. And at first it was really overwhelming. And then it became, once I kind of got over the drudgery of the work um, of just the day-to-day -day tedium of it, and I found sort of my my writing sort of workday groove, it was really exciting. Um, and I enjoyed the sort of scholastic pursuit of it. And I kind of enjoyed living in a, in a world of ideas again like musicians have a lot of ideas uh don't get me wrong and it, it but it, it's almost all comes through in terms of um style and style is very important i mean style david bowie once said style is how we put our culture together that's how we organize a culture is actually through style like why choose a chair it says so much about who you are and what you are that you you have a preference for a chair um and so that's music right so much of it's about the delivery and that slight cadence and you know, the things that you aren't saying, the things that you're juxtaposing. Uh, and that's true in writing as well, but there's also just this blunt intellectualism to it uh, that I found that I'd really missed um, and felt um, really like a coming home. And I felt very comfortable in it. And I, and I sort of loved it. Mm -hmm. That's great. I love that. Um, I'm going to make my clumsy segue into asking you about Bruce Springsteen, which we were talking about a little bit before the show, because you made the transit, you made the transition from um, writing music and writing lyrics to writing a beautiful memoir, and um, and he is another guy who who did the same thing. Um, what are your thoughts about that relationship? About what it's like to sort of to write songs and to write memoir, uh, to write something that is sort of overtly autobiographical, and um, yeah, I mean, what what do you think about that? I think there's a lot of us that are of my generation of uh, musicians who look at Bruce Springsteen as kind of a heartbreaking figure. And I would include, let's say, t you know, Jason Stickles from Titus Andronicus in this, uh, you know, a few other folks that that where you Bruce Springsteen is just such this unattainable ideal. 
that he's just this, how do you be Bruce Springsteen? Um, there's almost like this Bruce Springsteen of the mind that's always sitting on your shoulder and telling you that you're not ever going to be Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> it's, it's hard, <laughs> particularly hard for those of us who grew up, I think, in circumstances where we couldn't choose to write songs like Bruce Springsteen if we wanted to. And I, I've actually been wrestling with this idea quite a bit, um, a lot. Uh, Dave Marsh um, has compared us favorably to Springsteen, his biographer, to Springsteen a number of times, which, of course, is super high praise. And I guess that was just kind of a humble brag. Sorry about that. I didn't mean it that way. What I meant to say was it put this um, additional feeling like I wanted to write that. Like Thunder Road's my favorite song of all time, and I've always wanted to write my Thunder Road. But then I've, what I've been wrestling with lately, uh, and it's an idea that George Saunders talks about in his his new book, which is amazing and beautiful and wonderful, and we're going to talk about that when we talk about recommendations, but is that the question to ask yourself as an artist, whether you're a songwriter or a writer, whatever you are, what is the specific story that you can tell that no other person can tell? And I think there's elements of like a Brucean type arc in my life, of course, as, as it's, I think it's evidence in the memoir maybe um that we have some similarities in background and attitudes about music and art and audience and things but that you know they're, they're trying to be something else it's it doesn't make any sense that you don't have a choice to be what artist you have uh that you want to be like um you can you can write about anything um i think it's flowberry said like you can write about anything but you can't choose what you can make live and i found that to be true in my in my writing career as well as my music career that the stuff that I wrote that I look back on and I've said, wow, man, that was just, I was, I really felt that day. I had, I was had it that day. I couldn't tell you how I chose to make the choices. You know, I just, it was like intuition plus iteration. I just kind of went over it, went over it, went over it, made a thousand little decisions. And that same thing is true for writing. And, and I've been thinking a lot about this question a lot. What, like, what is the thing that I'm good at? What is my voice? Is it just present tense, limited perspective? Uh, radical perspective maybe interiority is it is it about sort of long arcs uh is it about reflection next to long bits of exposition which end in major plot points happening inside of single sentence paragraphs i don't know like those are some elements of the style that i i've used in the past but i'm not sure what it is but i feel like it's a really important question to ask because it also tells you what not to pursue and I, I've sort of been thinking about that a lot lately as, you know, my next book, I'm sort of thinking about what I'm going to write next and the songs I've been writing lately. It's as important to know what not to put my energy into. Um, and so um, that question of what's my relationship to art and to Bruce Springsteen uh, is actually kind of a big one for me. Also, my son is a huge Bruce Springsteen fan at four years old. So he knows every word to Thunder Road at four years old. That's and awesome. It's, That's uh, awesome. But then part of me is like, he used to like daddy's music. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, for what it's worth, both of my sons love Bruce and love you. And um, I think that probably you and Brian Fallon are the two sort of um, artists of our generation that are probably sort of most similar to, to me or kind of most similar to, to Bruce and to what he does. I think that's the reputation we get. Yeah, I mean, I mean it as a compliment. I mean it as a compliment. I just want to play, I, just to prove I'm not lying. This yeah. is my son with his new harmonica. I'm not even joking. This is unprompted. That's so good. This is what I'm dealing with. Oh, that's so my great. son knows every word to a song that to me is like the towering <laughs> achievement of songwriting of the last 50 years. I mean, listen. <laughs> like, like, fuck, man, in my own house? 
someday, someday, four-year-olds are going to be singing airborne songs, yeah, and awesome. it's going to be the same thing. Um, Maddie, I want to come back to you. So, I mean, Mikhail is kind of talking about sort of like being a writer and sort of writing the things that you can write, writing things you have to write. Um, I want to kind of talk about the other side of the coin in terms of like readers and what readers need at particular times. And, you know, we are kind of coming around to the one year mark on the COVID pandemic. This has been um, a terrible year. Uh, we've had the pandemic. Um, we've had um, fascist movements in the government. We've had uh, wildfires. We've had, it's, 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 it hasn't been great. And um, I guess one question that I, I ask a lot of booksellers on this show is, I mean, what do you find people want and need to read at times like this? Mm -hmm. um, what, like, what role do you think books have? That's a good question. And honestly, it's one I'm wrestling with personally, because um, for the last couple of months, I've had a terrible time reading. Um, and it's it's a bit embarrassing to admit, like as a professional bookseller, I'm having a hard time reading books. Um, and I think a lot of people feel that way and, you know, that our attention spans are shot or that we're spending all of this time reading the horrible news and keeping up on that. And, you know, reading other things seems like more work. But what has actually helped me is remembering the books that really transport me and make me feel um, like I am doing something different with my brain than consuming information. And I mean, the one that I go back to over and over again, Phantom Tollbooth. Um, one of the best books ever written. It is a children's book, but I think you can read it at any age. And, um, you know, I'm sure you all have heard of the Phantom Tollbooth, so it's not really a deep cut. But I think I think when you're um, when you're going through times of stress uh, and uncertainty, one of the things that books can do is provide an anchor for you. Um, and, and you know, I think a lot of the time as a, as a new bookseller, I'm trying to push new books on people. I want them to see what cool stuff is coming out. And that's perfectly fine. But I also want to make space for people to return to books and to find books at the right time in their life. So, you know, maybe, uh, maybe there's a book that like they've always wanted to pick up and now, you know, they're working from home all the time. They need a break from their computer and it's like, this is the time for that book. This is the time for you to return to that book and give it a shot. Um, or this is the time for you to return to the book that makes you feel safe and comfortable and that takes you somewhere you wanna be. Um, so I think there's no shame at all in rereading. And I wanna encourage readers out there to reread if you're feeling overwhelmed by new books um, and things and new information <laughs> that is coming in all the time right now. Um, because yeah, books are, Books are meant to be reread. I want to encourage people to, to come back and find new things in books that they hadn't seen the first time. Um, and I think that's kind of like on a larger scale, what we're doing this pandemic year is revisiting a lot of these habits and assumptions and things that we have and, and looking at them and seeing, you know, is this what I really thought it was? Is this what I really remember it um, as? Or are there new things I can discover um, about my own life, the way I relate to people, the way I relate to art? Um, you know, we're all kind of having this this reckoning this year, um, and I think pushing people into that further is good, um, even if it's a little uncomfortable, and even if, you know, we're all tired and we don't want to have that review, um, it's good for us. So, you know, for me with the Phantom Tollbooth revisiting it, I'm remembering how much I love children's literature, um, and that that is something I want to pursue. You know, once I 
leave my post as the events manager, um, I'm hoping to get back into writing um, and specifically writing children's books. So, you know, I think I think that's something that I'm seeing a lot of with our customers is is that you know they they're not as hot to trot with the new stuff this year. Like there are people looking for hidden gems. They're looking for old classics. They're looking for books that they love that they want to share with their kids or their, you know, their friends who are far away. Um, so there's kind of a bit of a different approach this year, which I encourage, I think is good. I love that. I love that answer. Hey, Mikkel, are there books that for you are like that, that sort of like feel safe or that feel like home or sort of like books that you can kind of, like the Phantom Tollbooth for Maddie, like books that just yeah, sort of like of do that? Um, I'll, I would name four, I guess. Um, Beloved, because um, uh, it's just, it makes me want to write. Uh, on the other spectrum of uh, great American 20th century prose, uh, American pastoral. I'm not sure if we're allowed to like Philip Roth or not. I keep, I can't, I'm not, I don't know, but I just love Philip Roth. Uh, I just think he sort of writes sentences that make me want to write sentences uh, in that book in particular, that and Sabbath theater just were ones that were huge in my life. Um, things they carried um, Tim O'Brien's book about Vietnam. is just, um, it, it's also I, part of it's, I think, cause it's, it's part memoir and part novel and it's kind of this mixed form um, that it feels like he wrote it from a place of, like he wasn't trying to get a book deal or he wasn't trying to do something fancy with a story. He, these were stories that had to be told and he wanted to tell them exactly the way he thought they would be best told. You know, sometimes the truth serves a lie and sometimes a lie serves the truth. And so I think that's why he chose to make some of it a novel was because he thought that some of the uh, made up events would actually serve the truth better. Uh, and which is actually one of the ideas he wrestles with in the book. Um, and then um, I was, a, uh, there's this book, there's this obscure book called Once a Runner. <laughs> Um, who, which is um, by this guy named John L. Parker Jr. I think he only wrote three books and they're all about college distance runners. And I was a distance runner in college. And it's one of these like cult books of a type of person. Like I'm sure in gymnastics, there's a book that all the gymnasts read. That's like, that's the one it's a, you know, or, or whatever. And, um, uh, and um, once a runner, it's about a college distance runner named Quentin Cassidy. Uh, and I just related to it so strongly at one point. In my, I think I've probably read that book 15 times in my life mm -hmm. and I'll return to it and just remember all the dog-eared pages, all the things that I loved about it um, each time. And it's, I don't know if it's a great work of literature, but it just so speaks specifically to me and specifically to like what I loved about running, distance running that um, I just, I love that book. That's great. Um, Mikkel, are you able, and a question for you, another question for you. Um, We've been talking a little bit about how difficult it is to read during COVID, how difficult it is just to kind of like focus. Um, what about productivity? So, I mean, you've been going through this with the rest of us. Uh, you have a great Twitter game. I know that you're very politically aware and politically involved. Um, how are you able to kind of screen everything out and be artistically productive during times like this? Well, it's funny. I was talking to my wife yesterday. We were talking about last year and what the rhythm of the year was and the different things that I got done. I was trying to remember. And then I was like, what did I do in the fall? And I couldn't remember a single thing I did in the fall. It's like, oh yeah, it was the fucking election. And like, all I did was raise money, uh, raise, speak on behalf of candidates, uh, tried to very tons of different advocacy, tons of different, um, uh, activism. Like it, it was like all that, all I cared about. And cause I remember having this all consuming sense. Like if we don't win this, I can't do anything in my life anyway. 
uh, and also this is sort of bigger than you know whatever I want to do in my career is literally like I was I was talking to immigration lawyers about moving to Canada like we're just trying to see like all right we might have to move this this could really go wrong and that by the way that still could happen uh, we are not out of the woods in this crisis uh, yet so um, I think it's just that we've sort of pushed it off for a few years but we it, we may very well face it again in 2024. Um, and it'll be on our doorstep in 2022. So um, that was very difficult. I, I kind of all I did uh, was advocacy, uh, activism, um, uh, and fundraising. And it's good. I mean, we registered hundreds of thousands of voters altogether. Uh, I think I raised a quarter million dollars for different candidates. Like it was, it was a big undertaking. And I was part of a group of very smart, very powerful people who uh, we all sort of had this idea, like, let's all push and get it across the finish line. And I feel good to have been part of that. And it felt very necessary. Uh, what I was thinking when Maddie was talking earlier was about how um, it, it's that as the stress level has gone down first by Trump being replaced and this immediate threat of fascism being sort of like taken off the table for at least a few years. Um, and the vaccines have come surprisingly strong, surprisingly well, surprisingly quickly, way more than I thought they would. My, my appetite for art and for work has increased quite a bit. Um, and so I, I, I've read more in the last, I'd say three weeks than I did probably all of last year. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm starting to feel like, oh, and this is why you can't have a culture during a, a crisis. Because if the zombie apocalypse comes, you're not reading Catcher in the Rye. You're reading like manuals on how to survive in the woods. And That's right. You're <laughs> <laughs> in crisis mode. And so I think one of the, uh, really sort of minor tragedies because you can't compare it to the actual tragedies of death and incarceration and whatnot that have happened in this country in the past couple of years. But one of the minor tragedies, and it's still a pretty big one, is the de is the sort of suspension of culture in this country for the last year. And you could it's probably a worldwide phenomenon. You think about it. We're not talking about TV shows. We're starting to again. We're not talking about movies. We're starting to again. We're not talking about books starting to again and all these things existed people were watching them and people were reading but mostly they weren't reading new stuff famously this year everybody went back to kind of stuff that didn't come out in 2020 so if you put out a book in 2020 as a new author it wasn't necessarily the best year to do that um for reasons that are sort of larger than whatever your, your ambition is um uh and and that was that was hard uh, for those of us who's live and die in art and whose lives are given meaning by art uh, by the making of it and the consuming of it um and so it's it's i'm just really relieved that it's, it seems to be coming to a close yeah totally agree um we need to get into some book recommendations and um before we go there i just want to remind the audience that for every book we mention and every book we have mentioned on this program um there is only one place that you should be going to buy it which is uh, skylightbooks.com. I am aware that there are other online book retailers, um, one in particular, um, and uh, we are doing this program. We do this program every week for one purpose, and that's to support independent bookstores. So we're going to be putting links up in the feed to uh, Skylight Books um, online store. And um, if you are able, go there, pick up one or a couple of these books. Okay, um, Maddie, I'm going to come to you. Um, what are you recommending to people these days? Uh, what should we be reading? <laughs> well, I won't tell you all like, you know, I don't give recommendations for like blanket 
people. Like I, I prefer to tailor them. Um, but you know, my my most recent staff pick has been um, this Korean novel in translation. It's called The Whole. It's by uh, Pyun Hye Young. So it's spelled P-Y-U-N-H-Y-E Young, like you would spell Young. Um, and it is a horrifying, absolutely terrifying book. One of the scariest books I've ever read. Um, and it is basically just about this man who wakes up in the hospital. He's fully paralyzed. Um, he's been in some kind of an accident in which his wife died. And the only person he has to take care of him is now his mother-in-law. Um, and they have their relationship quickly spirals <laughs> downhill because of some of the reasons behind the, the accident that occurred. Um, and I don't want to give too much away because it is, it's the kind of book where like, once you start reading it, you kind of know what the ending is going to be, but you're sort of like, I really, really hope it doesn't get to that point, but it does like, and it goes farther than that point. Um, there's something just fantastic about Korean horror in particular. Um, I really love books in translation and uh, scary books are my wheelhouse. Um, and I think that there's just, there's there's kind of this cultural um, understanding of, of architecture in fiction in Korea that I find really fascinating, which we kind of all were introduced to with Parasite um, and like the, the actual layout of that house um, corresponding to kind of these different class dynamics. And um, so so the whole does a lot of that kind of stuff too. Um, it's playing with um, this sort of layout of this house and the ground surrounding this house, um, reflecting kind of what's going on in this paralyzed man's mind. Um, it is it is truly chilling. Um, I loved it. I loved it. But I'm a very dark person. So I wouldn't recommend it to everybody. <laughs> um, one rec I would give to everybody, though, is Brandon Taylor. If you guys haven't heard about Brandon Taylor, get on the train. Um, Brandon Taylor was nominated for the Booker for his debut novel, um, Real Life, which is about a uh, young gay black uh, chemistry graduate student um, at a, a Midwestern university. And it's kind of about um, his social circle and the kind of like dramas and power dynamics among this group of young scientists. Um, it's so good. I, I often compare him to like, I think he's our closest analog to Jane Austen. Um, he's such a fine observer of, of kind of all of these little social details. Um, and the book is, is quite sharp and funny as well. Um, and then he has this new collection coming out in June, uh, Filthy Animals. It's all his short stories, which is, I think, um, he is probably the best writer of the long short story that we have working right now. Um, and I'm really, really excited for this collection. So you guys keep an eye out for that one. They're amazing recommendations. Thank you. Um, Mikkel, uh, recommendations that you want to share with the audience? Well, I mean, th speaking of great short story writers, um, I've been reading this um, and just, this is George Saunders' new book, which is, um, I, I'd say it's sort of like a really, um, it's a more highbrow version of like On Writing or something by Stephen King. Like it's a book about writing, um, probably for writers, but I think if you're not a writer, you could still enjoy it. I've just been blown away by this book. Like I, I haven't read a book this important to sort of my artistic world since The Gift by Lewis Hyde, uh, which was its own sort of phase shift in my thinking about art. Um, but it's um, got uh, <laughs> he, he essentially goes through his uh, class. He teaches a class at Syracuse um, about um, uh, 
19th century Russian literature, and he goes through a couple Chekhov stories, Terminov, uh, Tolstoy, Gogol. Uh, and, and it's great because I, so I never studied literature, but I've read, uh, quite a bit and, um, I, it's, it's so fun to have a companion to read, let's say Chekhov with, uh, and we, he starts off going kind of page by page and we're reading Chekhov and we're talking about technique and he will read a page of Chekhov and talk about it for, and, and he's just such an entertaining writer. Um, and there's such big, wonderful ideas. I think I tweeted that we were going to talk about the holographic permutations of perspective in Tolstoy's Master and Man, just because I feel like sometimes you should tweet stuff that are just no one's ever tweeted. Uh, <laughs> like, like just t- find an order of words no one's ever seen and put that on the internet and just like let the world ignore it. But um, um, there's such wonderful observations and they are really wonderful stories. And so if you're a writer or if you're thinking about writing, 100% read this book. This is the next book you should read. I wish I'd read it 10 years ago. Uh, and I'd say for me too, it was, um, since I don't have a, I'm not from the sort of um, uh, the um, MFA industrial complex. Uh, I just kind of came to books later in life, read a ton of books and started writing journalism and then fiction. And then eventually, I guess what you call literary nonfiction. Um, it's a lot of the stuff that I struggled with when writing my book that I just sort of read and read and read and read and read and read and then tried to solve problems he put into he just kind of put into words um and it was really wonderful to have these big ideas laid out in this way um also just um reading uh, master and man again for example some of these short stories the nose and um in the cart like the, these are all stories that i love um and uh are have been really like he chose a really nice group of stories so anyways Highly, highly, highly recommend um, this book by George Saunders. Mikhail, have you read? A book too, but it's not out for a little while. Sorry to interrupt, but Mikhail, have you read uh, George's George Saunders essay about Donald Barthelme? No, but check that out. Okay, it's, it has a lot of the same kind of craft ideas, but condensed. And I think, I mean, I'm a huge Barthelme fan, so I I ate it up. But I think okay. you would enjoy it if you're enjoying a swim in the pond in the rain. All right, I will look that up. I, I realized when I got this that I, I thought I'd only read Lincoln and Bardot, and I forgot that I had read Pastorilla and also the Brain Dead Megaphone, which I, not that many people read that book. Um, and I had that, and then um, and then I have Tenth of December, which I hadn't started yet. That immediately, put, and I, I suddenly realized that I'd been I'd been sort of steeping in George Saunders for a while without realizing. Authors kind of sneak up on you like that sometimes. I think like you don't even realize how much they've sort of been around your sort of intellectual world for a while, and then suddenly you're like something like this comes along you're like oh my god yeah george saunders now i want to go read everything by george saunders yeah and he's also he's he's probably my favorite author to hear interviewed like i love just listening to listening to interviews with him because he's like he's such like a lovely and sort of like thoughtful human being you know i could just like listen to him just like talk all day just about just about anything some of the stories are not as good as his discussions of the stories i will say that's that. exactly right that is like when you read this book i i'm like i i'm not one story in particular i'm like this is not a good story i don't know what you're talking about like i don't know why he teaches but then like his description and the reason why he uses the story as a learning tool is so spot on and so good and so beautiful that i was like i sorry i ever doubted you george i don't know what i was thinking i should have been with you from the start totally agree um Mikhail, somebody in the audience is wondering if there are other memoirs or autobiographies that you would um that you would recommend i know why the cage bird sings um is probably I, like if there's a mount rushmore for me of autobi of uh, memoirs uh, you have to put I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings on it. You have to put This Boy's Life on it. You have to put um, 
uh, uh, the things they carried on it. You have to put Angela's ashes on it. Um, I would say uh, Glass Castle and um, Liars Club. Um, and then uh, The Year of Magical Thinking by Joan Didion uh, was wonderful. Um, uh, and there's a lot more than those, but uh, Invention of Solitude um i'm gonna i'm gonna just all right let's just let's leave it at that that's a great list um that's a great list um and mikhail not surprisingly we do have a ton of airborne fans in the audience and they're not gonna let you go away without asking um number one will there be another virtual show i know we're getting off the topic of books here but um but uh will there be another virtual show and is the tour going to move ahead and we have somebody who's coming to us all the way from the UK and wants to know if you're going to be over there. So anything you can share with us about the band? I mean, I, I would have said, I think a month ago, I would have said probably not I'm going to tour in the fall. And now I'm starting to think we are going to tour in the fall. Um, your guess is as good as mine. I think there's a lot of ways this thing could go. Um, but it seems like every adult American will be vaccinated by the end of May if Biden's right. And um, God, I did not expect to like Biden. I really didn't expect to like Biden. <laughs> Some of it's just like the low hanging fruit that Trump didn't do, where you're just like, yeah, just do, just solve the problem. Just do the things. We have this machinery. Just That's do so it. easy. <laughs> like, God, like I was an Elizabeth Warren person, but man, and then if not Warren, it probably would have been Bernie, but like, oh my God. <laughs> um, anyways, so. Um, and don't get me wrong, there's a lot I don't like about Biden, but that part of Biden, I'm just just the like basic belief in government. People who believe in government should be the ones running the government. Anyways, he, he gets a lot of mileage out of just being decent and confident. Just competent. Yeah. Just take any yeah. other sort of value judgment basis because I have some problems with some other stuff. But like, let's just take all yeah. that away and just just competence, just basic. Yeah, let's let's manufacture the vaccines and make sure people get them so people don't die instead of golfing. Yeah. That's a great fucking idea, Joe. Yeah, anyway, yeah. So uh, at this point, I, th I think we're probably going to tour. I think I think we probably will be touring in the fall, which will include, uh, yeah, our UK tour as well. So I, I think I think that's going to happen. All right. That makes a lot of people happy. Um, Maddie, Skylight Books, you are um, open for in-store business. You are hosting online events. Um, you have online retail. Tell people a little bit about what they can do to support the store. Yeah, so um, you can shop on our website, skylightbooks.com. It's open all the time. Uh, the, the store is open uh, weekdays from 11 to 7 and weekends from 10 to 8. Um, you just have to wear a mask and sanitize your hands and be nice to our booksellers. Um, which I know you will because you're watching this live stream about bookstores. So, <laughs> so I don't have to, I don't have to explain anything to you guys. Um, and yeah, um, we would love to see you at our virtual events. They're happening on Crowdcast. You can find us at crowdcast.io slash skylight books. We've also been doing some really great, um, sort of bundled book with ticket events with our friends at the LA Times and Dynasty Typewriter, which is a great local theater here in LA. Um, and we're also working with Writer's Block. Um, so there's a lot of good stuff coming up. I do want to plug, we have an event with Kazuo Ishiguro next week, um, March 10th. Oh my he's God, really? Live. Yeah, he's going to be live with Lisa Joy, who's one of the creators of Westworld. Have you read the, have you read the galley? No, I I just got brought it home and I'm I'm wow. gonna lock my door and finish it tonight. If you see um, someone camped outside of your house, <laughs> that'll be me wanting that galley. <laughs> well, you can get the book. The book's out now, so um, you don't have to you don't have to fight me for the galley. <laughs> <laughs> 
But uh, yeah, I'm really, really excited for that. So check that out. It's um, You can find it on our website under our events calendar, skylightbooks.com slash event. Um, you can also find it on the Writer's Block website. They're producing it for us. Awesome. Um, Mikkel, I don't know if you have one up your sleeve, but the audience, somebody in the audience is asking if you have one last story about the bookstore. Is there one that you have um, standing Are we going to talk about the, uh, the F. Scott Fitzgerald outfit? Is that what this is part of? I feel like uh, I'm being prompted for this because this was in the... I mean, I, I don't know the subtext, but I, so I would go with the crack. So the crack was my story about Los Feliz. They got put was 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 published in McSweeney's. Um, that was my first piece of fiction published, and it was um, this was back when the McSweeney's quarterly concern, like you actually could hold it in your hand and stuff. Um, and uh, it was um, uh, and I, there's a little bit about this in the book as well about this idea of like Los Feliz and about. Um, uh, this time in my life when I first moved down from a ranch I was living on, I moved to a horse ranch and I moved there to just kind of push everything out of my life and write. I, I was working as a teacher and then a nonprofit person. I ran a bunch of programs for kids in South Central LA. And then I was like, I want to be a writer. I want to be a musician. I want to be a journalist. I just want to be in the world of letters and I don't want to work anymore. So I moved to this ranch. I lived there for a year. I got a job. I fell in love with, or sorry, I fell in love with books. I got a job at a magazine. Some friends and I started a magazine called Filter started writing for uh, Men's Health. I got on air at All Things Considered, became like their their Gen X columnist, I think. <laughs> uh, I was like the guy that came on and said, what's the deal with Republicans in blue ties? Huh, let me give you the ironic perspective. So um, anyways, fast forward, I finally moved to this tiny Parisian apartment uh, in Los Feliz. And the whole thing... Um, for me was I was I had book I didn't have a TV I had books taped to my wall all I did was read and write I chain smoked I probably smoked two packs a day at that point I since quit smoking uh, uh, and I would put on this three-piece suit this wool suit that I had that I thought made me look like F Scott Fitzgerald and I had these little wireframe glasses and an umbrella usually I was drunk and I would go to skylight and I would walk through the aisles and I was so broke i couldn't afford to buy any of the books this was just my habit was to walk from my apartment on lyman place out to um uh, uh out to uh skylight books in the three-piece suit twirling my umbrella like a madman and i don't i don't know what it's because i think it's because i never studied literature or something and in college i just sort of eschewed all that it felt like cheating like i wrote half a novel in college but never took an, uh, an english class because it felt like cheating um and uh it was like it was just so romantic to me at the time uh and and skylight always just felt and i remember just having this dream of wanting to be on these aisles i remember walking and just always wanting and then sometimes wondering is it was the same feeling i had as a journalist at coachella when i would interview like you know rock stars and stuff before i was a musician myself i was like hoping someone would mistake me for one and they'd be <laughs> like oh you know, and like sometimes I thought that maybe at Skylight, like in my F. Scott Fitzgerald gear, like someone would be like, oh, he, that guy's probably, he probably wrote something. You know, I, I think he wrote, okay, is that? <laughs> it's that guy. It's that guy. Uh, the, the audience is asking if there are photos. And if they are, I'll let you put them on Twitter at your discretion. Uh, <laughs> um, anyway, that's an amazing story. Um, we are running down on time. It is, has been such a total pleasure to talk to the two of you. Um, to the audience, uh, go to skylightbooks.com, uh, buy books, buy Hollywood Park. If you have a copy, buy a second, makes a good gift. Uh, go to events, uh, catch Ishiguru next week. 
Um, thank you for being here with us. We will be back here next week, same time, same place as usual with the Newtown Bookshop in Newtown, Pennsylvania. Um, Mikhail Jule, author of Hollywood Park, thank you so, so much for being here. Thank you, Joe. Uh, thank you, Maddie. Pleasure. Maddie Gobo from Skylight Books, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, uh, to the you. audience, thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week. Until then, be safe and keep reading. Thank you for joining us. I'm Trisha Blanchett for a Mighty Blaze podcast. My debut novel, Herrick's End, is due out in early spring 2022, and pre-orders are available now if you're looking for an adventure filled with danger, witches, and magic. Tune in next week for an episode featuring Chris Bojalian. Until then, keep your blaze burning and your pages turning. Thank you.